we are kicking off a new series called Harbor Base. This is an amazing time for you to figure out what we're about here at Anchor. So it's a great time to invite your friends, to bring your friends, in fact, Bring your friends um, next week to the four-year celebration. We're not only going to be talking about what it means to be a base, but we're also going to be having tons of good food. I don't think they mentioned the Bon Me we've got because Lincoln District represents. We had to make sure Bon Me was there. And so if you want a Bon Me and um, some tacos, and that's a place for you. If you want to just carbo load, listen, we got you. And so that's going to be next Sunday at Anchor Central. Um, but yeah, so we're hopping in this new series, Harbor Base. This is, a, this is a concept that we use to define ourselves as a community. And so you're going to get to understand where this comes from. So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We are going to be reading 4 through 26, a familiar passage to some of us and a fresh one for others. Here's what it reads. Now he had to go. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus had to go. I love that. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, or if you want to pronounce it like a Pokemon, Sikar. Thank you. Thank you. It's a low-hanging fruit. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, Have you nothing to draw with? And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and call back, come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her in Jesus' fashion, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five, count them, five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one 
speaking to you. I am he. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us today. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are sitting with us, that you are present in this place. You are present in our lives. You know what we're coming in here with. You know the grief. You know the things we're celebrating. God, we thank you that you know us, that you are here for us, and that you're present. God, would you illuminate your word, and would you be with us as we praise you, God? We pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been on a boat? Have you ever been on a boat? Some of you are like, yes, I have been on a boat. Me too. I've been on a boat too. A few times. And one time in particular, I was, on, I was at this leadership retreat, and we were surprised with a boat. And I said, hey, guys, get your sandwiches. We're going on the boat. And so I was like, okay, got my sandwich. We're going on the boat now. Now, some of you are already picturing the circumstance. Some of you are already picturing in your mind's eye what it looked like for Matthew to be on a boat. He had sperries and khaki shorts and a polo with a pop collar. Oh, man. No, that's not the case. I got on with a roost tattoo hat, sunglasses, a long sleeve flannel, non-waterproof shorts and vans because I don't play games like that. That's how people die. All right, I'm not getting in the water for nobody. So I'm going to stay here and intercede on behalf of the nations and eat my sandwich while y'all play in the water. All right, God be with you. So we went out on the water. Hours went by. Everyone's playing in the water. And then it was like, all right, time to go in. I was like, finally, I can say amen and then get done with this part, go on to the next. And as we started going in, we were miles away from shore. The weather started to turn. Dark clouds began to roll in. The waters became choppy. The waters grew angry. The tempest was rising. I'm pretty sure there was lightning storms and probably a tornado off in the distance, but it was hard to tell from my vantage point. Needless to say, things were getting rough. And as we were making our way into shore, the guy who was operating the boat was, was jamming as fast as he can, and we were just hitting waves, and water was going over the bow, and we were getting soaked. My flannel was soaked, and we were heading into shore, and I was feeling queasy because man did not, uh, man was not supposed to be on the water like that. God put us on land for a reason. He said, relax your stomachs, but here I am getting thrashed around, getting soaked, And finally, uh, we cruised into the harbor, and it was like nothing ever happened. There was peace. I could sit. I can breathe. I could think. Have you ever been on a boat? Have you ever been on a boat? Do you, is this story familiar to you? Now, I have to say, you don't have to have been on a boat. You haven't had to, you know, been on a boat to experience this type of circumstance. The waves thrashing you around, the chaos. It sounds like normal life, doesn't it? Financial insecurity, throwing water over the bow, choppiness, the choppiness of relationships, strange relationships, struggling to make it through the week, health concerns for yourself or someone you love. The waves are crashing over the bow and you're seeking that harbor. It's something we all wrestle with. It's something we all experience. In fact, this week, I'm coming in here weary because this week I was talking to my dad, whom I love, who's having declining health, 
who can't even go outside right now. He's too weak and the smoke is too thick for him even to leave his house. So I'm reckoning with the reality of him not being around for much longer. And then if that wasn't enough, our van is struggling and needs some auto repairs. And so now I'm putting in money to that. And to make matters even worse, I took a glance at my bank account. And I'm like, man, the waves are slapping against the bow. Can anyone relate? Can anyone relate? And so where are we going to find the peace that you and I so desperately need? Where are we going to find the rest that you and I so desperately crave? Where are we going to find that harbor? Some of the harbors we typically go to in America, the first one is ding, 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 consumerism. That'll do it. If I Amazon Prime enough things, I'll finally be happy. I've got a Roomba. (laughs) Not happy yet. I've got, I've got, I don't know what else Amazon says. They say all everything. I can't, I can't keep going with that. But we buy these things and then we get the things. We open the package. It's the same box every time or bag. And uh, I'm back to the way I was feeling beforehand. Okay, so it can't be consumers. And that's not a steady harbor, a harbor that will give us peace. Oh, what about Cobra Kai? Yeah, Cobra Kai, entertainment. Okay, the new season's out. I can watch Cobra Kai and be happy finally. And then you turn the TV off and you lay in bed and the thoughts begin to rush in. Oh, man. But what about those bills? Oh, man. What about her health? What about his health? Ah, It's not Cobra Kai. It's not entertainment. Not even Ted Lasso can heal our wounds. (laughs) Maybe it's community. You see how I had to go the three C's to get Cobra Kai? Can I just say entertainment? What about community? Now I think we're onto something. I think we're onto something when we say community is a harbor. You see, whether you look at it theologically, whether you look at it through a lens of sociology or, or biology or anthropology, everyone is, is an agreement. Human beings are communal creatures. We're wired for it. We are wired for community. And I believe this wiring is why we long to have community as a harbor, that we long to be in a place where people believe in us, they care for us, they encourage us, they exhort us, they challenge us. We long for that. It's in our DNA. Yet, our longings for this rarely match our experience of it. Am I the only one? Our longings for it rarely, if that match our experience of it. Sadly, according to the Barna Research Group, only one out of three young adults feel deeply cared about or believed in. One out of three. That means 70%, over 70% of the population of young adults in America actually feel like they have somebody. Not even, I mean, sorry, I messed that up. 70% don't feel like they got that. Only a third. Only a third. And I would say that extends past young adults. I would say the majority of us in this room aren't feeling a sense of harbor around our community. We're still at surface level. We're not known. We don't feel cared for. We don't feel believed in. So we want this community, but we don't know how to go about it. We don't know how to actually form the harbor which you and I so deeply crave. Reminds me of a middle school dance. Sweaty palms on the side, on the outskirts, 
awkward eye contact, sweat and clenched cheeks. Who's going to make the first move? It's what it feels like. Many of us, we don't know how the heck to do it, right? So we're just on the outskirts, wishing we had community, wishing we had a harbor. So it makes sense why we begin to drift to those harbors that will never give us the peace we need. Oh, go to consumerism. That's not working. Oh, go back to Cobra Kai. That's not working. Oh, go back to consumerism. That's not working. Oh, go back to Cobra Kai. We go to the harbors that aren't giving us the peace we so desperately need. And so what do we do? Where do we go to find the rest we need? Where do we go to begin to find the harbor you and I crave? It's a great question. I believe that's the question the woman from this passage was asking for herself. Where can I go to find rest from the chaos that's all around me? My life is chaotic. My life is chaotic. Listen, I've got a checkered past. I've got a checkered past. I've been with five men, actually six now. And in her day and age, that was a big no-no. That was a huge no-no to be with that many, to have that many husbands. And so what does that say about her and the men she was with? It means, hey, that's been checkered. That's a colorful, that's a colorful past there. So not only did she have this checkered past that she was using to beat herself up over, but she was being marginalized over her past as well. So she was being pushed to the outskirts of society, which is why she was there at noon in the heat of the day. Everyone else was taking their siesta. Everyone else was taking a nap. And here she was by herself because the other women wouldn't receive her as part of her community. So she was alone. And because of that, she didn't have community. She was lacking community. All she had was old dude at home. And we can make assumptions about who he was like, what he was like. And so this was the woman. Where is my harbor? Where is my rest? And she ends up finding her harbor in a very unlikely place. As she sits there, this unrighteous woman, this unrighteous woman, this unclean Samaritan, a Jewish rabbi comes along and sits at the well. This was shocking. This was shocking, not just because there was a gender uh, hurdle, because a rabbi would never be seen sitting with a woman and talking and fraternizing with a woman at a well. This is taboo. This is not kosher. Not only was there this gender gap, but there was also this moral gap. She was unrighteous. Five husbands. Hmm. She was unrighteous. Yet the rabbi sat with her. But the most shocking element of this reality, of this story, was that she was an unclean Samaritan. She was a Samaritan. The Jews would never be seen hanging out with the Samaritans. In fact, they would never even use a dish that a Samaritan would have used. And so it's shocking that he would ask for a drink from her jar, the jar of a Samaritan woman. I need some water. We see Jesus breaking down barriers, Jesus breaking down walls that other rabbis would have established to keep away from the unclean heathen. Jesus breaks them down, and he sits with her at the well. He dignifies her at the well. He's present with her at the well. Some of you need to hear this morning that Jesus wants to sit with you. 
Some of you need to hear. Because you began to spin a narrative in your brain that you are unworthy to sit with Jesus. How could he ever want to sit with me? I have this raging addiction that I can't get control over. How could Jesus ever sit with me? I've had all these strained relationships. I've hurt so many people. How could Jesus ever sit with me? This word has been spoken about me in my upbringing within the church, saying I would never, ever be a part of a community. I would never get on right. I will always be trifling. How could Jesus ever sit with me? Some of you need to hear this morning the reality that Jesus sat with women like this. That Jesus touched lepers. That Jesus ministered to prostitutes and men who used their position to steal riches from innocent people. Some of you need to hear this morning that Jesus ministered and sat with oppressed and oppressors alike. Jesus, he sat with everybody. So what are you using to disqualify yourself from being in the presence of God? There was hope for you. He wants to sit with you. He doesn't care what you were doing last night. He doesn't care what you did last week. He doesn't care about the fact that it's been years since you've been to church. He wants to sit with you and be present with you. That's the beauty of Jesus. And here's one of the many proofs of it here in this text. Look how Jesus interacts with this woman. Jesus doesn't use her past against her. Man, Jesus, he doesn't use her past against her. Jesus knew her past. He knew more than the five husbands. Could you imagine if he said, five husbands, huh? You should have known better. You were destined to live this way. No one's ever going to love you. You think God's ever going to love you? Can you imagine if Jesus began to insult her over her past? It's a horrible thing. For someone to have insight about your past and then for them to use your past against you. It's a horrible thing. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't use her past against her. He, in fact, uses it as a statement to inform her current place in life and to point to his divinity. He uses her past to inform the situation. While many of us drift to the other way, where we use people's pasts to deform them. You're unworthy. You're unclean. You don't belong in my presence. You don't belong in this community. Are you kidding me? You voted that way. You advocated for that. You posted that on social media for everybody to see. What are some of the other ways that we use people's pasts to deform them? I know how many people you've been with. (laughs) Hello. I know. I've seen you at the club. I've seen you out front with him, with her. We use people's pasts to to form them instead of informing the situation and seeing how God is working in their life and giving them hope and vision for what they could be through him. And so Jesus, he doesn't use her past against her. He continues. He doesn't, Jesus goes her pace. He doesn't rush past her. He doesn't say, hey, what's up, woman at the well? Listen, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Yes, you've been waiting for me. Here I am in all of my glory. Gold dust. Come and look at me. I'm here. He doesn't rush past her, but he goes her pace. 
He begins to walk her pace and at time allows her to lead in the conversation. And in fact, he even lets her mock him. (laughs) Are you greater than our father, Jacob, sir? He doesn't jump on that and say, yeah, actually, I am. (laughs) I am the Mashiach. I am the Messiah. Okay, cool. He goes her pace. He doesn't jump to the climactic conclusion that he is the Christ, but he relationally walks with her, letting her lead at times to that conclusion. He goes her pace. Jesus, he challenges her in love. Here's the beauty of this situation, is that Jesus doesn't berate her over her shortcomings. He challenges her to acknowledge and eventually trust him as the Messiah. There's an order here. There's a process here. It's not a hostile challenge that Jesus gives her to be used against her. Like, hey, listen, uh, you are imperfect and you are going to remain perfect, imperfect, unless you become perfect. You got to do this. You got to do that. You've got to grow up. You've got to dump that guy. You've got to clean your life up. No, he doesn't. He leads her to himself. You see, the source of transformation is the Messiah, not morality. I'm going to say that again. The source of transformation is the Messiah, not morality. So you can clean up your potty mouth. You can clean up your addictions. You can can clean up your financial picture. You can serve all you want. But Jesus isn't saying serve, be better, do more, work your way, perform your way up to me. Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus was not after her cleaning herself up. He was after her. You see the difference? And so Jesus, he challenges her in love. And then finally, Jesus shows himself to be the ultimate harbor. Jesus shows himself to be the ultimate harbor. Jesus climactically reveals himself, the reality of who he is. He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ that you have been waiting for. It's me. I am your harbor. I'm here to give you rest. This this story is is the seedbed for many of our core values here at Anchor Church. Hope, hospitality, presence, purpose. We see this all expressed in this text because she would leave with a purpose. She would leave and go and tell the town. She, She received the hospitality of God the Messiah, as he made space for her. She received hope from him. She received his presence, the presence of the God of the universe sitting with her. And so Jesus, he showcases the harbor you and I so desperately need. And so this is our harbor. This is our example. Now, you and I, we as a community, now get to be an expression of that harbor the expression of the harbor of Jesus to those around us. You see, this isn't something that we just relate to Jesus. We just sit with Jesus and everything is good between Jesus and I and forget about everyone else. This is me and him thing. Me and daddy God, because the people who say daddy God are the type of people, it's just them. No community's there to say, stop saying that. (laughs) It's a me and him type thing, right? 
But Jesus, he's inviting us to be the community that we so desperately crave. You remember back to that statistic, that sad statistic, that only one out of three young adults have people in their life that believe in them and care for them. We get to break that statistic in the church. What if 100%? Let's just go bold here. Let's go big here. What if 100% of everyone in this community felt seen, known, and loved? What if 100% of the people in this community felt cared for and believed in? Be a beautiful thing. So how do we do that? We go the way of Jesus. We follow in his footsteps. We don't use others' past against them. Did we all hear that? We don't use others' past against them. You want to sink someone's ship? Start poking holes in them over their past. I can't believe you did that five years ago. I can't believe you did that five weeks ago. I can't believe you did that five hours ago. Poke, 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 as they slowly start to sink. We were in Vashon Island uh, last Tuesday for a, a staff mini retreat. And as we were there, we, everyone who was in the room had five minutes, ask me anything. And anyone in the room could ask them any question. And somebody asked me, Brian Halferty, one to three crimes you've committed, go. And I had a moment. I'm going to say this, and I really hope people don't push me away. And I said it. I said the crimes I've committed. And no, someone said prove it. No. <laughs> Details. Details, yeah, after the gathering. After the gathering. And no one flinched. No one batted an eye. Everyone was still the way they were before the fact, after the fact. That's a picture of the beauty of community, that we can bear our entire past to one another and not be uh, judged for it, not, not letting it be used for ammunition against us, but a way to inform people of who we are and how we got to where we are today. And so we don't use other people's pasts against them. We go others' pace. This is, if I can confess, the hardest one for me. I don't want to go other people's pace. They're too slow. I'm like, listen, I know where you're at now, and I know where you could be. Should be. I got you. Just do everything I tell you to do right now. It doesn't work like that, though. I found that in my few years of pastoral ministry. I found I can't just give you a game plan. We've got to go each other's pace. And so this looks like, at times, creating space for people who are still figuring it out. So they're going to come in here talking some sort of way that your normal church lobby wouldn't, you know, be okay with. Like, hold up. He said, what? Like, how? That's a lot of four-letter words. What does he mean by that one? I've never heard that one before. Okay, cool. It means people are going to act a little relationally funky because they don't know how to engage in the church. They don't know how to engage with people in in anchor groups, so they're going to say some things that are a little off-putting. But we're going people's pace. We're not forcing the ideal on them. We wouldn't force the ideal on ourselves. We all know how stifling that is to momentum. But we walk with them. We walk their pace. And in the same breath, we challenge them in love. Because harbors don't let people sink. Harbors don't let people sink. You see someone acting a fool. You see someone doing something that's bringing them down, that's unhealthy, that's harmful, that's sinful, we say what Jesus said. 
go and sin no more. There's grace for you. There's a, a, a multitude of grace for you. There's so much grace for you. Let's talk through how you got here and let's walk together forward out of this. You see, you don't need that. You don't need that to curb the, the, the edge of reality. You have Jesus. Put the bottle down. Put the joint down. We're good. We can do this together. The spirit of God has been gifted to us. You see, we, we don't let people sink. We challenge people in love. We challenge people with truth in love. And the chief is what it is for all of us. The chief was to go about this in a way that points people to the ultimate harbor, which is Jesus. We point people to Jesus. We all need to be reminded of the hope that we have in our Savior, our Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. We all need to be reminded of it. I was a recipient of that this week. I was telling you I had some hard things that I was wrestling with that was way heavy on my soul. But I was blessed. I was blessed. I was having a conversation with one of my buddies that go to this church. And he's like, Matthew, can I pray for you? And he prayed for me and ministered to me. It was so good. I was encouraged with words of affirmation. And I was blessed by our time here on Thursday evening where I got to worship God and put my trials, put my struggles in proper view of the risen king. I was blessed by this harbor. Imagine if we were this kind of community that pointed people to the ultimate harbor, that didn't use people's past against them, that went people's pace, and that challenged in love. That's the kind of harbor I want to be a part of. And I'm assuming that's the kind of harbor you as well want to be a part of. And so how do we actually make this a thing? Well, it demands something of each one of us individually to make this a reality. So what's the response? For you, if you are trying to engage in this harbor, you have three easy on-ramps. I'm going to make it so easy for you. Rooted. Boom. Mic drop. Let's go home. Actually, let's sing another song. Rooted. Ten weeks. That's all we're asking. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. This small group experience has been designed to have you encounter the living God and grow in community and find your purpose within the church. 10 weeks, 20 bucks. We'll cover the bill if you can. It's that easy. So write rooted on your connection card or visit us on the way out. Anchor groups, get plugged into an anchor group. Find your community, be known. It's not enough just to be known around a lobby. You gotta be known around a table, around a living room. And finally, join a serve team. It's a great way to find community. It's a great way. So these are three practical next steps for you. What's your next step? What's your next step? And finally, if you have yet to respond to the ultimate harbor, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. I want to read you this. And I want you to close your eyes while I read this. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to conclude here. This is Jesus's words, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. These are Jesus' words to you. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Are you tired and worn out? Are you burned out on trying to perform your way to holiness, to God's affection? Come to Jesus. 
Come to Jesus as you are. He wants to give you the rest you so desperately need. And if that is you this morning, I'd love to meet you in the back. I'd love to pray for you and talk about what that looks like. But for those of you who are, have already had this encounter with Jesus, will you join me in making this place a place where people can be known, cared for, and believed in? Will you join me in making a harbor here? Amen? Jesus, we bless you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we thank you that you sit with us despite our past. Jesus, we thank you that you sit with us despite how we presently are. All our imperfections, all the things that mar us and make, me, make us dirty in the eyes of those around us. Lord, we thank you that you, you love us, that you are for us, that you desire to lavish your grace upon us, Lord. We just pray that you would be with us as we continue in worship and that you would speak to us, Lord. We bless you and pray all this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.